As Anita said, I'm Phil Bronzema, uh, standing in, literally, for Greg, who's taken the, the Sunday off. Think of this as first semester chemistry at a large university. You just had seminars from the professor, and now you get the teaching assistant who's going to go through the homework with you. So what we're going to do today is we're going to review the last couple weeks of Greg's messages and really, really focus on application. So what? What does this mean that we talked about these attributes of Jesus? Uh, what does that mean for me? Because the intent is that it's not just, oh, yeah, this is, oh, yeah, that was a, yeah, that's a really good message, really good message. And then you go home. And so the, today are going to be some prompts to help us get there from here. First, a few meanderings. You have heard the term white elephant, right? Um, nowadays, it's frequently a Christmas time, gift exchange, five, ten dollars, something, something, Forty, fifty years ago, it was an exchange of something that you didn't want or need anymore. Okay, this sort of transition since then. Here's the origin. A white elephant, Southeast Asia, 1600s, 1700s, bunch of kings, when an albino elephant was born, very, very rare, by rule, it belonged to the king because it was sacred. And having that, that white elephant around meant blessings and goodwill for the country and so on and so forth. The king would give it this white elephant to one of his favorite enemies. It looked really good for that enemy. Oh, yeah, I've got, I'm taking care of the king's white elephant. However, that elephant was not allowed to work because it was sacred. So for the next 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 years, it ate food at the cost of the king's favorite enemy. So a white elephant was something that was looked good as a gift, but came with obligations that were really expensive. That's not what being a Christian is like. We get the gift of salvation from Christ. That's not a white elephant. What we're going through living the Christian life is not designed to be a burden for us, but be part of the way that we respond in faith. That's only tangential here, but it was a fun story. Matthew 28. Verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Action verbs. Go and make, baptize, and teach. The next part of the introduction is from the Heidelberg Catechism. Heidelberg is a city in Germany. A catechism 
is a teaching device structured as with questions and answers. This one was written about around 1560 in a part of the Reformation movement in Germany where one of the kings said, I need a teaching tool for the people in my kingdom. And a couple of scholars sat down and wrote the Heidelberg Catechism. A series of questions and answers talks about a variety of aspects of the Christian life. This happens to be a favorite document of mine. I'm counting four people here, Donna Heisinger, Steve Vanderark, my wife Carol, and I grew up in this denomination, the Christian Reformed Church, and we are of an age where starting in junior high, we went to catechism class and studied the Heidelberg Catechism all the way from junior high through high school. We know this well. I'm fortunate it has now become a favorite. Not a, uh, We viewed it all as drudgery at the time, and we wished for illness. But, but it, it's a very popular doctrine of, of the Christian Reformed Church, if you're, and it's a great teaching tool. If you're interested, let me know. I'll get you a copy. Each question and answer has a series of verses from the Bible, so you can read for yourself and see what it means, and build up the, your knowledge of that answer yourself. It's really cool. Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 1, ah, broken up into 52 Lord's Days as a guide for preachers. When I was growing up, the evening service every Sunday was a catechism service, and the pastor worked his way through the Heidelberg Catechism. In a sense, it's probably easy for him because he then has a routine because he's already preaching once on Sunday morning. Anyway, so Lord's Day 1, question 1. I'm going to read the question. I'd like you to read the answer with me. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And question two, what must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. If you're keeping score, I mean, if you're filling out the handout, you, you just got three answers here, okay? Even if you're not filling it out, there's still three answers. Okay, so we thank God in three ways. Generally speaking, with knowledge, the corollary is we grow in three general areas. In knowledge, in faith, and in practice. So let's think about this. Knowledge is, do you, you know the, the narrative of the Bible? Do you know who Paul is? Do you know who King David was? Do you know the basic doctrines of the Trinity? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you know who Jesus is and what he did? Okay, so there's some knowledge that comes in there. Faith is the, the, the response from our heart that accepts that gift of salvation 
and builds in our hearts and our minds that relationship with God. The third is practice. What do you do that illustrates and demonstrates your knowledge and faith? They work together. You can't have just one, and you really can't have just two. Think about this. If all you have is knowledge, man, you've got like 3,500 Bible verses memorized alphabetically and chronologically, whichever way you want it. And you know the liturgical meanings of these, and you know the literary references, and you know where all the, the, sec, the Roman emperors line up. Well, then you're a great academic, because all it is is knowledge. If all you have is faith, you might be a, uh, worship exuberantly, but if you don't have knowledge to go with that, you're at the whim of whoever's giving you instructions. And practice. If all you have is practice, you're a very nice person. We know nice people that don't believe. They don't know the Bible. They don't have faith. They're nice people. They're doing good things. Conversely, you can't ignore one. If all you have is knowledge and faith, that to me thinks you think of a a some a, a hermit or someone who's isolated himself with a group of friends and oh you're studying the bible and you're building your faith but you're isolated so you can sort of see these three do need to work together to to be a healthy and balanced christian so Now we're going to look at the last few weeks. We're going to focus on this action, the practice of what it means to be a Christian, not so much the knowledge and faith. And again, think back to Matthew 18, or Matthew 28. Go and make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them. How can you go and make disciples without doing something? How can you teach them? without doing something. Baptizing, we sort of left to, you know, the ordained pastors, okay? But still, bringing people... These are action verbs. It doesn't happen by sitting in these chairs. So what we're talking about here is to implement the attributes of Jesus that we've studied the last couple of weeks. So we'll start off with a good Samaritan. In your handout, you'll see circles in front of these, each of those lines, because I couldn't find a square in Microsoft Word. You know, yeah, adapt and make do. Check the, the ones that hit home for you. There's pencils. I put about 40 or 50 pencils around so you can mark them off. Most of these pencils are courtesy of local golf courses, the, the best that the Clear Lake area has to offer. Because when Carol and I go golfing, you use the pencils for scoring. They're just going to throw them away because they're dull. So I take them home. So this, when I do my woodworking, I have like 10 or 15 pencils every place I need them. 
Do good. Here's the main point from that message. Do good, even if that person is not like me. Remember that story. A guy is beaten up on a, tra- on a, on a roadway, no, apparently no evidence of what nationality or status. The religious leaders follow their rules instead of being good and showing God's mercy. Another guy, a non-believer, Samaritan, shows mercy. So the point here is do good things, be kind to people, regardless of whether they are like me or not. It's really easy for me to be nice to Steve Vanderark because we're virtually twins. We had had the same, we grew up in the same kind of environment. Our dads would enjoy talking church together. I enjoy talking church with Steve because we grew up we had similar backgrounds. How easy is it to visit with him? God's telling me, yeah, be nice to Steve, but also be nice to the, the, the homeless person who's got a little sign out there by I-45. That person's not like me. Check that box if this resonates with you about being nice to people who aren't like me. Jesus at Mary and Martha's. You may recall this one. He's at Mary and Martha's house. I'm drawing a blank. I think Martha's the one in the kitchen doing food prep. Thank you. Mary's sitting in the living room listening to Jesus. Martha says, Jesus, I need a little help from Mary. Jesus says, Mary's picked the better thing to do. It's not to say food prep's wrong. Not to say, right? But this guides us to say, review the many things that we can do. Let's pick the better and the best. God's given us 24 hours a day. Sometimes... And we have to pick. What's the best thing that I can be doing? Different answer for every person. But what it says, it's the response to this one is, take a deep breath, take a step back, probably for more than two minutes, and say, what's, what are all the things on my list? What are the best things? for me to be doing. My list is going to be very different than than those of you with small children. (sighs) Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Right? Because different people have different priorities. Of course. And different people have different skills to do things that are better than somebody else has. All that's good. But the point is to take some time and reflect and say, Am I doing the better things? Am I doing the best things? Love your enemies. 
the main point that I took from this message from Greg is, my life in Christ is just so incredibly great that it costs me nothing to pray for people I don't like. It doesn't lower me a bit. Just because I pray for Putin's salvation doesn't make me less of a person. Just because any of you might pray for a really rotten boss that you might have at work or a coworker who's just really hard to get along with, pray for that person. costs you nothing because our salvation is so great. It doesn't demean us in the bit. It doesn't show weakness. It shows strength in Christ. Pray for oligarchs and oppressors. Because by in so doing, you move, God can move the whole ship. An oligarch, looked it up. You've heard this phrase every day for the last several months. Oli, O-L-I, means several or many. Or olig. Arch or arch means on top. So an oligarch is a member of a small ruling faction. So where this applies to Russia, or any dictatorship, is the head boss and his cronies. The emphasis on cronies, not based on merit, but based on are you a member of the club or not. So pray for oligarchs and oppressors. I have a few listed here. Ukraine and Crimea, China, the Uyghurs in West China, there's a million Muslim human beings in prison camps because ethnic Chinese, the ruling class, doesn't like them. Bangladesh and Myanmar, there's a a group of people called the Rohingyas that are stateless. They've been persecuted, pushed into Myanmar. Myanmar, after 80 years or so, decided they didn't like them anymore, and they're pushing them back into Bangladesh, and Bangladesh says, I don't want them either. These are human beings, God's people, God's children. India is persecuting every non-native Hindu organization. Mother Teresa's um, charity there is now forbidden to, to accept foreign funds because of irregularities in their bookkeeping. Oxfam, a global charity based, I think, in England, is forbidden to do business, bring funds into India because of irregularities in their bookkeeping. A lot of persecution of Muslims and Christians by Prime Minister Modi, who's a... a, a nationalist Hindi to the point of just outright persecuting non-Hindus. And it's not limited to this. Latin American dictators, line them up. Gang leaders, whatever's going on in your neighborhood or downtown Houston or wherever. uh, Child smugglers, make a list. These are people that need to be saved. Pray for them. A new creation. Remember, we read about the fruit of the Spirit, singular, which includes all these. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Take some time. You say, hey, I need to work on this. Pray about it. Find a book. Find a friend. Make a little checklist, little steps first, bigger steps later, or just a lot of little steps. It all works. Don't just pick your favorite one or two. Pick the one or two where you think, yeah, I need to work on this. Then last week, Greg picked one of those, patience. Easy to say. Like all of these, you say, oh, yeah, easier said than done, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to be good. Yeah. Okay, check that box. These are not easy to... It's hard to change habits that we've developed over years and years and years. It's hard to change our habits. How do you change, how do you improve your patience? Well, you look at the places where it pops up. If you're an impatient driver, you set your alarm 10 minutes early and you don't hit snooze. Right? You build, you build in a fix. In some, you cool down for two minutes before raising your voice. Wait two hours before sending an email. I practice that one. And I'll come back to it, and I'll take some adjectives out. <laughs> so I can make my point in response to something calmly and thoughtfully instead of coming across as being angry, which diminishes the credibility of my voice. Patience comes in all over the place. And here's one of the reasons why this is valuable to work on. On the scheme of our salvation, any element of impatience counts for nothing. So I'll just say, avoid useless confrontations or useless times of being impatient. Because usually our salvation doesn't depend on this. Now, if you're having a discussion about who Jesus is, sure. If it's about what somebody sent in an email two hours ago, you think, oh, man, that was not helpful. My salvation does not depend on chastising this person in public. So, how do I respond? I want each of us to take your pencil or pen in hand, check one box, just one. If you check them all, oh, yeah, I I need to work on everything, that's way too much. When I had people working for me and for myself, too, when I have a development goal every year, one topic. Work on it, build a skill, then go to the next one. Here, too, pick one topic and work on it. I take golf lessons in an attempt to keep up with Carol, who's a better golfer than I am. I take golf lessons because I want to get better at it. My instructor, when I'm trying something, I I, hit it, and she says, that's okay. And I say, no, it isn't. (laughs) 
Because <laughs> it wasn't okay. Take a ball. Remember this. Try again. If I'm willing to take golf lessons, should I not be willing to take face lessons and try to get better at it? When I moved here with Carol, we said, hey, we can golf year-round, and we do. And if we're going to golf year-round, let's take lessons and get good at it. We're Christians year-round. Let us decide, I want to get good at this. It makes no sense to do it the other way around. It says, oh, I like golf so much better than being a Christian. I'm going to take lessons and get good at golf, but being a Christian, no. I'm just fine being a Christian. That's the wrong answer. Just the wrong answer. If we're Christians, talk about priorities. That's number one. If it's not number one, let's talk offline. And it's really hard in today's society. Absolutely hard in today's society. So if you listen to any media, well, I watch the Golf Channel. Lexus, Rolex, Vacations in the Caribbean, all these things that tempt me to make me a priority instead of God. Whatever media you watch or listen to, it's the same thing, right? You're wearing cowboy boots. Are you wearing Wrangler jeans? Because that's really the right jeans to be wearing if you're wearing cowboy boots. Levi's are okay if you're urban. But if you're around, you know, if you're going down to like Alvin and towards Needville, you really should be wearing Wranglers. Just saying. If I can prioritize and good at golf, so much more should I prioritize doing things, not just thinking about it, not just come. Church builds knowledge. It can build faith. There's not a lot of actions going on here. That's on us individually. Take those actions and do something. So here's what I want you to do. Pick one topic. I want. I would really like you to put an X in the one that you're picking out. I want you to put your initials next to it to make it personal. Okay, all of y'all, I need you at least looking at your paper, even if you're putting a mark down, all right? At least look at your paper to make me think, make me think you're, you're paying attention. Thank you. Got it. Share it with a friend or with me if you'd like. That might be the hardest thing. Accountability is really hard. It's really easy to say, oh, yeah, 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 I'm going to work on that, Phil. And you go home, and it ends up uh, in the recycle bin. If you, the, I, I, for me, a hard part is accountability. It's even with Carol. It's hard for me to say, Carol, I'm going to work on this. Because now she's sort of checking to see if I'm really doing it or not, which is the whole point. So take this home. Put it someplace. You'll forget this afternoon. Tomorrow morning, you're going to see it on top of your dresser, but in the kitchen or wherever you put things that you're going to look at tomorrow. Read it every day. And here's the homework. Other piece of, next week in church, I want to see you walking around, and you can just give me a little quiet thumbs up to indicate that you're doing... I'm not going to ask for details, unless you want to share, 
right? We need to get good at this. We need to get good at this. And in general, we tend to be weak on practice in growing the demonstration of our faith. This is how I thank God for my deliverance from sin into salvation. Read the New Testament. There's a lot of teaching. There's a lot of learning. There's an awful lot of doing. It's pretty clear when you read Paul's letters that these churches are doing things. They're building up each other in faith. They're working to bring new people into faith. There's a lot of teaching of younger Christians what it means to be a Christian. Look at this chart. This is what God's calling us to do. He's not calling us to be content. He's calling us to grow this way, to grow in faith. Let's pray. God, our Father, you love us. You guide us through your Holy Spirit. And God, I ask that you help us as we practice doing things that show we're building our faith as Christians. In some cases, it's some personal behavior. It might be more study. It might be more actions outside of the home. Help us to prioritize the best things and the most important things in our life. And it's not golf. It's not our favorite hobbies or whatever is on our list. Being a Christian, it has to be number one in our hearts. And it's hard to do that, especially in today's society, where there's so many other polls that say, oh, come do this, look at this, read this. There's 500 channels to browse through. Help us to not be complacent, God. We also know that we could try, and if it doesn't work, you say, that's okay. And we can pick ourselves up and try again. We, don't, we aren't perfect. We're not going to get this perfect the first time or the second time, or the third time, but God, please inspire us so that we do build our knowledge, our belief, and our practices so that you are pleased by our faith. Amen.